Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Many people call Mark's gospel the breathless gospel. That's because nothing sets the pace, the tone of Mark, quite like his Greek term, yothios, which we translate immediately. Every time you see the word immediately in the gospel of Mark, highlight it, underline it, it's, it's a tone setter for this gospel. It's especially true with this weekend's passage. We're in Mark chapter one, verses 21 through 45, and there is so much here. In Mark's pace, his perspective seem so fast-paced, even breathless. So I wanna read the first half, and even cutting this passage in half, it's still gonna feel like, like it's going very fast. There's a lot that we're going through, and I want us to, to if you have Bibles or Bible apps, open to that. Let's, let's read through this together, ensuring that it's God's words that we're primarily focused on, not mine. Verse 21, and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately, they took him about, told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Whew, that's just half. <laughs> Some of you are going, if we keep that pace up, 15 months is gonna be more like 15 weeks. <laughs> That's Mark's pace. That's Mark's perspective. Exorcism. Not exactly something many of us have experience with or want to have experience with, but it's real. And in some way, shape, or form, it's still active. And man, if there is somebody here 
in person or joining us online that does have personal experience with this, either themselves or on behalf of somebody they care about, I would never want us to build up such a discomfort with it, such a stigma of it that that person thinks they can't bring it to the people of the church, however it may look. That's exactly who we want them to bring it to. So we don't turn up our noses at spiritual battles or people that have become overcome by a power beyond them that they just can't shake. Or consider people that, that feel or maybe even have been told that they are unclean, damaged goods, untouchable. Consider the abused or the addicted around you. Do you think that they would have been found by the reach of Jesus and by those that followed him? So let's, let's not shy away from this. Let's, let's consider it a little bit more. We don't wanna get overly obsessed by the spiritual realities that are at play, but we also don't wanna utterly reject them. How does a person get to that point? How does a person become spiritually overcome, having a seemingly unshakable hold on their life? Well, I don't know how this happened with a man at the synagogue or with the many demons that, that Jesus healed the people of at, at Simon and Andrew's house. I don't know how this happened, but I do know how it can happen. See, spiritual beings opposed to the works of the Lord, they don't have unlimited or even rival power, anything near the power of the Lord God Almighty, or even on, behalf, on people on his behalf. They're cruel, they're destructive, they're evil, but they are nowhere near the level of the power of God. Demons don't have the power to own a person. That's probably why the word possession may not be the best translated word, and I'm probably not going to use it. Demons don't have an ability to own a person, but they can have space to work in a person's life. What allows the enemy space to work in our lives? Sin. sin. We are not in any way saying we know how these people overcome by destructive spirits got that way, or people even today who have become overcome by destructive spirits, how they got that way. Case by case, people, as we always say, we deal with people's situations on a case by case basis. But if sin by a person or upon a person as, as a victim if sin allows opponents of the kingdom space to work, and sin absolutely does allow opponents of the kingdom space to work, then sexual sin, any sexual sin, public or private, not just the ones we choose to highlight, false religion, bitterness, gossip, idolatry, or the occult, leaving any of these things unchecked in our lives, having an undiscerning spirit about them is seriously dangerous space. Allowing the enemy space to work in unrighteous ways in us and through us, in our minds, 
in our thought life, in our emotions, and in our actions. See, I think our flesh and the world around us has made us think that dabbling in sin, it's like a trip to Vegas on the weekend. I'm just gonna mess around. I'm just gonna blow off some steam. I'm not gonna take the rules all that serious just for a little bit. Sin is not breaking rules. It's picking sides. Sin is not merely just breaking a few rules. It's picking the influence that we're gonna allow in us and through us. And right here, right before this sounds overly strict or before guilt creeps in, in your heart, in what I'm hearing, let's ask the question, how did Jesus respond to people when they became overcome by unrighteous space in their life? How did Jesus respond to people who were spiritually overcome? They couldn't kick the power that was in them and through them. How did Jesus respond? As a caring, powerful liberator. We've got a whole second half of this passage that we're gonna get to in a bit, probably at some point in the second half here. But as a quick sneak peek of how Jesus responds to people that have been declared unclean, have, have a power over them that they just can't shake. Let's look very quickly at verses 40 and 41. A leper came to him, Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus touches the untouchable. Then he cleanses. Church, hear that very clearly. Jesus reaches out and touches the untouchable. Then he cleanses them. There is an opportunity of great power right now to shine light into some dark places. There is a sensitive and power-filled space for us to not move any further through this message right now because for the person overcome by something in their lives that they just can't kick, they are powerless to do anything about it, a power beyond them. For the person that is hearing me here in person or joining us online or that has this service shared with them later, that feels overcome, there's maybe an excitement welling up in you as we read this. There's maybe a hope that hasn't been there before. If God saw people and moved like that back then, maybe you can do that in my heart, in my thought life, with my emotions, over my addiction, over the unrighteous things going on in my life that I just can't kick. He can. It may matter to many or even most people, but listen very carefully. I don't even want you writing this down. I want you seeing it on the screens. God is not primarily concerned with how you have become overcome. 
He is immediately concerned with how to free you. Many people might, might be caught up in, well, how do we get to this place? God says, I'll deal with that. Right now, in this moment, my immediate concern is to free you from the hold. There is good news all over this. This is Jesus, hope, help, and healing. And I don't wanna move further through this service without a time of prayer and power. So would you quiet your soul as much as you can? Close your eyes with me if you would. This may be a very critical moment for somebody here. or for someone online. And it's okay for us to be bold in prayer right now because we are seeking the power of an almighty God on behalf of people who are desperate for his power. It's not us doing something right now. It's Jesus. So for the person that is spiritually overcome, Overwhelmed for the person that is overcome and overpowered beyond themselves, whether it be addiction or thought life or whatever it might be, by the authority of Jesus' name, consistent with his message and his love for his people, God, we call upon you to break the bonds of unrighteousness. Break the bonds of the enemy. Break the power that the spirit alone can break. God, we ask you to break the hold of any unrighteous spirits. We ask you to break patterns of unrighteousness and temptation in thought life. Bring freedom to people. We ask you to break whatever destructive holds are upon our life of addiction. God, that in this moment, people would come to you and experience you and it's like a weight would fall off of them and chains would fall to the floor because the spirit of the Lord is here and the enemy cannot stand where your spirit is, God. We declare that. We call upon you. We look to you, God, and say these things that have oppressed us, they're not a threat to you. Break the bonds of unrighteousness in lives. By your power, Jesus, we pray these things. Church, I want you all to join me in saying a powerful and compassionate amen to that. Amen. If you need prayer after services, if you need to talk to somebody, I'll be here, we'll be here. We'd love to walk with you through some of that. Do you see why we want people to invite loved ones to this kind of encounter? This isn't merely just to church services. We're inviting people to experience Jesus, the God that extends hope, help, and healing to all. This is so good. Doesn't get better than this, this side of heaven. Well, that's just the first 
half. <laughs> but I don't really care what part of the message we're at when we encounter the power that Jesus had and the love and the posture that Jesus had and still has to people who feel powerless. His is real power. And we're gonna see that. That's what part two is all about. So we're gonna pick it up where we left off. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This man has faith. This leper has faith. He comes to Jesus and he says, I believe you have the power to do something about my situation. But last week we said that belief without repentance, like without turning and yielding, equals presumption. We call it faith, but it's faith on our terms. This service, these encounters, our very time together with this message is all about this. Faith, but on whose terms? Back in 1901, there was this guy named William Reed. He was a German theologian. And he developed something, and as he looked through the book of Mark, he developed something called, sometimes unfortunately called, the messianic secret motif. Primarily, it's found in the Gospel of Mark, and if we're gonna be here for 58 more weeks, might as well get familiar with it. The messianic secret motif is a way for believers to kind of wrap our heads around a very strange phenomenon that seems to be happening in the book of Mark, where Jesus seems to be downplaying his identity and his works. Mark is recounting in narrative form the times when Jesus told demons or cleansed people, don't tell anybody about me. Don't tell anybody what just happened. It's kind of weird, right? Like you and I are going, I'm not sure you really understand how this, this works, Jesus. Or at least if, if we don't go that far in our minds, at least we're saying, look, whatever Jesus is doing, I don't understand it. I don't see it. I don't get that. That reaction's completely understandable. This is kind of confusing. So let's lean into it a little bit more. Verse 25, Jesus rebuked the demon saying, be silent after they said, we know who you are. You're the holy one of God. 
have you come to destroy us? Verse 34, after casting out many demons, it says, Jesus would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. What's going on here? These demons are hell-bent against Jesus and the kingdom and on destruction and oppression and controlling people's lives. If the demons had it their way, they may not have a problem with the crowd surrounding Jesus and making a big deal about him because mobs and crowds develop their own sense of purpose their own sense of what it is that's really exciting them. Why are we here? See, if it were up to the demons, the people would all be really big fans of Jesus and hear how he came to, what did they say? Destroy us. Demons go, that's who we want you to see this Jesus is. He's a warrior. He's a miracle worker. He does great shows. He's a destroyer. That's who he is. Go tell everybody about that. Who is controlling the narrative here? If demons and the crowd control the narrative, what gets lost? The reason I came to preach. I have a message, Jesus says. And I'm not gonna let opposing forces hijack my message. I'm not gonna let the crowds think it's all about a show, impressive, and it stops there. This at very least relates to Jesus's encounter with the leper because after the leper went out, not following what Jesus said to him, he goes and he tells everybody he can about what just happened to him. And what happens? What's the result? Fame spreads across the land. But is the spreading of fame the point? This former leper thought it was. Jesus said it's not. They disagreed. <laughs> the irony here is that when Jesus commands demons, they have to obey. But when Jesus commands this leper sternly, it says that, that he met and he touched and he miraculously, compassionately healed, the leper doesn't obey. The leper doesn't even do what the demons had to do. Or maybe the leper just couldn't help himself, making, making sense in his mind that, that fame is a good way to go about this. Just like Peter thought that a suffering Messiah wasn't the way to go about this, that won't work. We need a political Messiah. Just like Judas couldn't get on board with who Jesus really was, and so on. But Jesus should be calling the shots, especially when we disagree with him. You and I are going, but just look at all the people coming around him. Okay. But are they coming to him and understanding him on his terms? For the reasons and the messages that he intends? The crowds will gather for big shows. The enemy knows that. The crowds will gather on Palm Sundays when Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem 
but do they understand who he really is? What his, his purpose and his message that week really is? We'll celebrate him as long as he comes in celebration, but the second he gets rejected and hung on a cross, no. This isn't a lesson that fame or evangelism or big crowds or big services or bad things because there's elsewhere in, in the gospel accounts and throughout the New Testament that go and reach the masses is done on God's terms. This specific these specific occasions that we're looking at, like with the leper and with the demons, they're about something different. This is a lesson about an encounter and a response. Throughout this passage, people encountered real power. They had thought demon possession was a real power. Demon overcoming a person spiritually, oppressing them, that's power, and we can't do anything about that. They had thought leprosy, well, that has power over my life. I can't do anything about that. And they're right. And so are some of us that say, you know what? My financial situation right now, that has power. Or the bullies or the cliques at school, they have power, all kinds of power. Cancer has power. Social media has power. Shame has power. I can't get out from under that. But these people encountered the one that had real power. He shows them what real power really looks like. And that'll change your life, an encounter like that. That'll leave you in awe and wonder when Jesus shows up and shows you in your life what real power looks like. I've seen it with so many people that they want and need Jesus to meet their need. And God is faithful. He shows up in lives and proves himself all the time. And that's all the experience of God that they want. I just need the power. I just need him to break through this log jam in my life. I just need him to heal me. I just need this from God. And then he shows up. And that's all the amount of God that they want in their life, a faith, but a faith on their terms. So this lesson isn't just about an encounter. It's about an encounter and a response. We know that God is faithful to encounter people in all kinds of ways, meeting them right where they are with the needs that they perceive and the needs that they can't perceive. And as much as people often say, I wish God would just show up in my life and prove himself to me, he does in so many, many ways. The real question is, what is our response? If he proved himself to you today in power and in love and in mercy and in freedom, would your response be on his terms or yours? I want everyone to ask yourself this question. What would it look like for you to follow Jesus on his terms? This is kind of similar to the question that we asked last week that, that what do you need to maybe cut loose from in your life in order to more fully follow Jesus? 
This week, we're asking it this way. How would one thing, for right now, just one thing, in your life change if you follow Jesus on his terms? Okay, I really wanna encourage you to ask yourself this. People here in person and online, maybe write down on a cell phone note or a, a connection card or a slip of paper, whatever it looks like, how would one specific thing in your life change if you had faith on his terms? There's a professor at Biola University in California that's actually the rival school of the school that I went to, but, but I forgive him for this. <laughs> Funny joke, I didn't say this last service, but we were, I went to Azusa Pacific and we were always much better at sports than Biola, but they were better at following Jesus, so you tell me <laughs> who wins. <laughs> Professor's name's Don Sanukian, and he changed my life at a pivotal time in my life. I've never met him, <laughs> never met the guy, but he preached a message and I think I listened to it on a podcast or something like that. So I know how powerful that medium can be in getting the message and the experience and the heart of something out beyond just the here and now. So podcasters, we love you. And his message was on Jacob. If you're not familiar with the story of Jacob, Genesis, Jacob, Jacob and Esau, Jacob, Esau was his brother. Um, and from birth, God had laid a blessing on Jacob's life that the older, Esau, shall serve the younger. Jacob was younger. And in this day and time, firstborn rights, firstborn blessing, firstborn inheritance and all that was a huge deal. And God said from birth, it's gonna be different with these two, with Jacob and Esau. And I'm not gonna preach the whole message or anything like that, but, but the message from Don Sanukian was about Jacob's manipulation amidst God's blessing. See, God's gonna do what God's gonna do. He had already said from birth that he had plans and intentions for Jacob. So the question is, do you wanna mess some things up in order to try to manipul manipulate your way to what I already said is gonna happen? Position yourself, posture yourself so that you can get there and make sure that it happens. Or do you wanna just open your palms and say, God, I trust the destination that you've promised me. So whatever it takes to get there, whatever you wanna put in my life, go for it. And at a pivotal time in my life where I was posturing myself and my family to try to figure out where is God gonna have us? Where is God gonna move our family? Where is he gonna call us? I had been interviewing with all kinds of churches and even picking which churches I took interviews with. I needed to make sure that I was palms up open to all kinds of options. Because at that point in my life, I was pretty good from all my kind of rebellious years and, and learning things of the flesh my way, not God's way. I was pretty good at giving people what I thought they were looking for. I, I've called this in the past, this was like my chameleon stage of life. I blended in and knew how to give people what it was they were looking for based on the context around me. And so if you're, if you're trying to get somewhere in life, if you're trying to get somewhere with your family and the stakes are really high, it can be pretty tempting to make sure I manipulate this so we get where we need to go. And I heard this message and I was challenged. When you sit in interviews or when you pick which churches to take interviews with, are you trying to manipulate the situation? 
Or are you just saying, hey, God, control my life, control my values, control the way that I interview? And I'm telling you, it, it wasn't easy for me to kind of unlearn doing things, giving people what they want way. I really had to pray and submit and work on some things in order to interview on God's terms. And shocker of all shockers, it ends up working out better that way anyways. Faith on my terms, Jesus says, will be about so much more than just a show. It'll be about so much more than just fame. It'll meet you right where you're at with the needs that you have those that you see and those that you can't see. And it'll lift you up more than you can even fathom. That's faith on my terms, Jesus says. I came to preach. I came with my message, a message of love and power and meeting people where they are, yes, and with salvation. The greatest need, the greatest miracle. This is the good news of God. This is the gospel of God. Repent, turn from faith on your terms and believe faith on my terms. He is seeking to restore you. He is seeking to bring freedom to your life. He is seeking not just to encounter you with good news message and good power, but then, but then change you and do something far greater in you than you can even fathom. Maybe for you, what is holding you back from hearing and experiencing a true encounter with Jesus isn't the enemy. It isn't demon overwhelming force. It's your own heart. That's what the enemy fears the most for reasons we can hardly comprehend. But despite efforts to keep your focus and your priorities on the here and now, that this world is all that matters, the realities and the needs that I'm facing, that's what counts. That's what the flesh and the enemy wants you to focus on. But God says, I've secured a healing and a freedom for you that outshines all of that from the wages of sin and death. Accept it. The encounter has happened today in your hearing this good news. The response is what's right in front of us. So I wanna pray over that. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for your sovereign good news, for the way that you come to each of us meeting us exactly where we are with the needs that we have and saying, I know what you truly need. You are a God that can and must be trusted. And for the heart that, that walked into this room or, or clicked on this link online, has been far from you, distant from you, or at least having an awareness of who you are, God, but not a faith on your terms. I pray that you would be awakening, stirring something within them. I pray that they would have a, a stirring and an awakening to accept and respond and yield to faith on your terms, Jesus. That you offering your blood for our forgiveness on the cross and inviting us into new, redeemed, power-filled lives. That's the good news. 
And that's something they need to accept. Not merely just say, maybe I'd check a box of religion in Christianity, or maybe I, I know about Jesus, but no, lives that say, yours is the kingdom and the power. Your will be done, God. I wanna pray for any heart that needs to respond to that, that they would in this moment feel free. They would in this moment feel that by yielding to you, Jesus, they have power like never before. Power to face the things that they see right in front of them and even the things that they don't see because you are within them. Thank you, God. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your restoration. God, for those of us that, that need to be stirred and called into worship, I pray it's not just lyrics that we sing. Yes, we would sing these lyrics, but, but we would also live lives of worship, live lives that say, I will make room for you to do whatever you wanna do. In my decisions later today, in my calendar, in my speech, in my social media posting, in my finances, in my marriage, with my classmates, you call the shots, Jesus. I'll follow your lead. I will make room for you to do whatever you wanna do. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.